0: Listening to 87.6 FM, The Wellness Couch with Katarina and Brett Morrison. Great show on tonight. Sorry, we had a little bit of a um, problem with the voice. So um, The Wellness Couch, uh, we've got a, a great uh, show on tonight. With the uh, We're chatting with the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe, about um, women's most asked questions coming from our patients uh, about their iron status in clinic. So... Um Steph is um, a mother nutritionist, a yogi, and the founder of The Natural Nutritionist. Now she lives in uh, Law Tasmania with her hubby and her gorgeous daughters. She's been a practicing nutritionist since 2011 and seen thousands of lives change around the globe from um, adopting her way of life. So um, I hope you enjoyed this talk uh, between Steph and I about the uh, women's iron status. Enjoy. so you're on a mission to um inspire and make um health a priority for so many individuals um, in our community you're a sports nutritionist a founder of the natural nutritionist and author of the real food athlete and um, you've shown a real um passion for disseminating um, a positive and inspiring valuable message around real food and um, the effect that it has on health and um, sporting performance as well now What was your childhood like when you were growing up? Yeah, well, I had
1: an interesting start, I guess, looking back at my interest in food. Like, we always ate well as a family, but as a teenager, I felt like I was carrying a bit of extra weight. So my early interest in food was more like <laughs> teenage dieting and the information that I could learn from, you know, Dolly and Girlfriend magazine back in the time. <laughs> okay. But it did it did spark an interest from a very young age and like, I guess set the scene for like, the career that I have, you know, many moons later.
0: Yeah. So how did you actually navigate to become, a, you know, a formidable nutritionist? Well, I was working in the health industry. My
1: original undergrad is in human movement. That's obviously where the sports sort of side of things came into it. But I was actually working as a Pilates instructor and I just kept getting, firstly, a lot of questions about food and then, you know, as the journey continued for me from a career point of view, I quickly realised, one, how much confusion there was for people wanting to understand food and the nutrition space, but two, a lot of myths that I've then become, you know, a myth buster, really, to unpack a lot of the confusion, a lot of the myths that have been perpetuated for the last five decades. And that was the inspiration, along with my sort of personal journey to go back to study nutrition at a tertiary level. So I graduated in 2009 with postgraduate studies in nutrition and then started the natural nutritionist not long after, and the rest is history, as they say, <laughs>
0: yeah, quite, um, <laughs> over a decade later. Yeah, mm. no doubt you're a trailblazer, no doubt. Um, now, you've been a triathlete, and that's given you first-hand experience of the nutrition required um, to fuel, you know, a successful body Um via endurance some of the key issues faced for women athletes um is their status of iron that affects Mm -hmm. their performance and immunity have you observed a lot of those issues yeah yes
1: yes i think iron is a really big issue for a number of reasons like absolutely from females first and foremost um definitely from an athlete perspective I actually don't do like just athletes these days since becoming a mother myself and and having children and working with a lot of women throughout that chapter of their lives. um, I'm actually seeing issues like, you know, dietary inadequacies, heavy menstrual bleeding and sometimes some absorption or some microbiome issues. So there are a number of root causes, but... Really, that's the whole point, right? We've got to work out what the root cause is for the individual, male or female. And my job has been to really discuss that and help my clients and online community because we just haven't been root cause focused in the Western medical system. We've been quite band-aid in our approaches to offer certain iron supplements, iron infusions, um even the marina for women who are experiencing the the menstrual cycle issues and none of those options treat the root cause so i obviously
0: have a big problem with that approach and that's why i've ended up talking about iron so much so we're going to talk about all those but um just let's go Mm -hmm. to the start just um explain to the audience how important hemoglobin is um to the uh, human system and why
1: yeah, what well, what I think a lot of people don't know is that hemoglobin is actually how we store the bulk of our iron. Mm. So upwards of 70% in the red blood cells. And that's really essentially how the iron is then used to create energy in the body. So most people are pretty familiar yeah. with iron deficiency and how that can cause fatigue because we're not efficient <laughs> at making energy. Um, but there are obviously other symptoms that could correlate with low iron but essentially we've had this obsession with ferritin in the west which of course is important it's how we store iron in the liver and in the muscle um, and a few other little places that are less significant but really that's only about 30 percent so clearly we should be focusing on the primary source of iron storage via our hemoglobin which I don't see happening a lot. And I see a lot of people being told they've got low iron or anemia or, or issues off ferritin alone. And we can unpack why that's a problem. Um, but we've got to, yeah, really optimise our haemoglobin, which really actually isn't about just iron. No,
0: so definitely not, no. So people
1: are very used to hearing low iron and treating that with iron alone, whether that's telling someone to eat more meat. I've even heard the extremes of, you know, the carnivore diet being used, but especially the classic supplements like Varigrad C and Multifer, which don't reflect a true understanding of iron physiology, which I'd like to also discuss, but just really we have to understand what cofactors our body needs to make iron. And just three examples are preformed vitamin A, which is retinol, copper and magnesium and so we've really got to focus on the building blocks right yeah, so we actually oh, can make definitely. a lot of yeah. iron
0: yeah. and restore our hemoglobin yeah. for people
1: who are experiencing issues
0: yeah all right so obviously like you said hemoglobin is quite important it's a the oxygen capacitor you know carrying like you said 60 to 70 percent um uh, throughout the body of iron throughout the body so quite important for us um particularly what do you see um where's the prevalence of uh deficiency do you think in individuals. Yeah, I
1: I have a little echo chamber at the moment yeah. because of I guess what my <laughs> what my online what my online content has led to, but I actually think at the moment the biggest driver is the epidemic in hormonal imbalances that we see in That's women. Important. So we can unpack that, but just from a menstrual cycle point of view, not many women know that uh, normal blood loss for one period is about 40 mils. Wow. Yeah. Which is really just, if you think about a classic Australian tablespoon is 15 mils. So it's really just over two tablespoons for the whole period. And I meet women who are losing 80 mils, sometimes Mm. two to 300 mils each month. There's no way you can compete with that. There's no amount of red meat that you could ever eat or even a supplement that you could take to offset the root cause of the hormonal imbalance causing that heavy menstrual bleeding or HMB. So I think the prevalence is quite high in females who have that hormonal dysregulation, as you can imagine, if they're also an athlete, if they potentially have some gut issues on top of that. Well, then there are multiple root causes, which is why we're seeing low iron to be such an epidemic.
0: Yeah, most definitely. So, um, so obviously it's becoming a common nutrient that's deficient, isn't it? Like globally, mm. you say that as well. Um, and and what surprised me is that you actually made the comment that it can be deficient within meat eaters as well. Yeah, well, that's what
1: I mean. Like I, I don't actually work with a lot of vegetarians and vegans. And if you did, you would obviously see mm. nutrient deficiencies that could potentially be only driven by a dietary inadequacy because – you know, anemia or other root causes of low iron include like low B12, which everyone knows is quite low on a plant-based diet because it's found only in um, red meat-based animal products. But essentially, yeah, I don't work with that community a lot. So the question needs to be asked why we're still focusing on iron alone when these women are actually eating enough iron from their red meat. There's only so many more portions a day you can or a week you can yeah, add. Yeah. That's why we've got to look at the root cause, but also understand these cofactors because a Western diet is notoriously quite low in retinol because it is found in yeah, grass-fed butters yeah. and animal fats yeah. that have been demonized for 50 years. It's also found primarily in liver or the organ yeah. meat, which Australians don't really eat and most turn their nose up to. But then when we try and look for someone's retinol intake or their vitamin A intake, their nutrition or their their daily intake is quite low. So that's where I tend to focus from a food first point of view to highlight the lack of retinol and then what we can add to an already whole food template usually, but that really promotes that iron restoration. It's not usually anemia that I see because anemia is defined by quite a low hemoglobin so in women of menstrual cycle age that's less than about 125 grams per liter but i see a lot more iron dysfunction when the ferritin is quite low the transferrin saturation is quite low and the transferrin is quite high that's iron dysfunction which is why we've got to go back to those cofactors that we're talking about
0: that was my next question. So um, mm. a lot of, uh, I guess, women get confused. They go to the doctor and the doctor says, no, your iron's fine. But what what are the different types of iron that we've got to look for and the tests that individuals should suggest to their doctor or sort of demand, you know, because sometimes they're not all done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to do with advocating for yourself, that's for sure.
1: But I think the big disservice is that if you order what's called an iron studies, yeah. that has iron, transferrin, transferrin saturation, and ferritin. So they're all really important tests, those four. But often the hemoglobin sits underneath a different yeah. panel, which is the FBE, the full blood evaluation, or the CBC, which is the complete blood count. And it, really, in my opinion, the hemoglobin should also sit under the full iron study, so we can look at that in context with the other four. And equally, I I look at hemoglobin, hemoglobin first. to to make sure we're ruling out something like iron deficiency anemia, which is a, you know, much more severe case. Um, But then I look at transferrin second. So transferrin is Mm. flat out that reflection of iron hunger. So the higher the transferrin is, the higher the iron hunger is. So this is, you know, a female who's menstruating and not on the combined oral contraceptive pill, we don't want to see a transferrin higher than 2.5 grams per litre. And if it is, there is true iron hunger. So that is where I would consider a short-term, low-dose, alternate-day iron supplement whilst we're working on the root cause because it can take three months to regulate hormonal imbalance, for example, or it can take six months to improve an intestinal permeability issue if that's the root cause. But I don't recommend iron supplements off ferritin alone. My next question. Like we said earlier. (laughs) Yeah, ferritin is in the liver, mostly in the myoglobin, in small amounts. And um, you can have, quote-unquote, low ferritin without having true iron hunger. And if you start to add in iron supplements, especially the multifers that, um, with all due respect, most GPs are trained to recommend, you can actually create a problem
0: because you only absorb about 40 milligrams of iron a day. Well, what's the recommended allowance So Isn't it about 18 for an individual menstruating and 10? From for, the diet. Yeah. yeah. And 10 but milligrams. But remember of... an RDI? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. An RDI is like pure survival level, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's not what we're really trying to achieve no. for optimal health. So an RDI is like, yeah, the bare minimum. Yeah. But when we look at actual iron absorption and we understand that there's this key player or this iron entry regulator called hepcidin, if you go above 40 right. meg, and yeah. that's usually what happens when you take multifer, which is 100 meg, you'll keep the hepcidin elevated and that causes iron trapping. So the big reason why multifer right. or ferrograd don't work oh, is right. because people are told to take 100 milligrams every day the hepcidin stays high. The iron is trapped. It can't be. Um, it can't yeah, be absorbed yeah. from a supplement, and neither can it be absorbed from the diet. Both heme sources from meat and non-heme sources from like your iron-rich vegetables, like spinach, for example. So, I know there's good intention behind recommending this supplement, but when it doesn't work, and then this female is told, is told to take, you know twice a day or three times a day, that is the definition of insanity because it's the original dosage that's causing the problem. It's blocking the iron entry. It's perpetuating the deficiency. So that's why I said before, low dose is key because it reflects iron physiology. We can't absorb more than 40 milligrams a day. And there's plenty of data now to show that an alternate day dosage, that's obviously every second day, increases your absorption by about 34%. So you actually need less iron. Less is more. And this is how we can get supplementation protocols to actually work in the
0: short term while we're addressing the root cause. That's fantastic. And uh, what about gastrointestinal distress? I mean, um, having, you know, supplement on top of supplement also, Causes. I mean, we're looking at issues of toxicity, we're looking at issues of uh, creating inflammation and gastrointestinal um, distress. How does that affect iron absorption? Yeah,
1: well, I think anyone that's been prescribed an iron supplement in the past has been frightened by the constipation or gastrointestinal effects, right? And that's because these products... They're, one, very high, which we've discussed is a problem. Um, Two, they're quite aggressive forms of iron. They're they're oxides or they're sulfates, and they're not bound to an amino acid, which can really help with um, absorption. And, yeah, it's also those high doses that cause the microbial inflammation. It can actually feed Mm -hmm. um, harmful pathogens in the gut. So here we are trying to help someone with a gut issue potentially, Mm -hmm. and we're putting a bigger problem into the situation or creating a bigger problem because that inflammation is going to not only block iron absorption but create a whole host of nutrient deficiencies and and symptoms, of course. Yeah.
0: So there is a bit of controversy sometimes. I I guess it's petering out, but um, uh, the iron overload for supplements or does it only affect people who are genetically predisposed to um, iron overload? No, no, all the time. So
1: going back to our iron studies, the um, second marker that I'll look at is something called uh, um, transferrin saturation. So think of that word saturation for me as we discuss it. So this is telling you about the tissue delivery of the iron. So Mm. it's not that useful in the blood, right? We Mm. want to get it into the tissues for use. Mm. Um, But if your saturation is high, and for women that's above 30%, for men that's above 40%, that will cause the iron trapping, right? So that's one Mm. of the markers that I can look at to, Classically, see that someone's taking the wrong supplement too often um, and obviously too high. And yeah, I, I don't see a lot of hemochromatosis, which is that genetic yeah. condition where, of course, you have to donate blood or it's fatal. Most often, well, the, the Occam's razor, the easiest explanation for high saturation is a protocol that's mm. not effective or that mm. doesn't reflect our true understanding yeah. of iron physiology. So, yeah look at that. Don't just look at ferritin, which I see being done time and time again off those that iron studies panel.
0: Yeah. So a lot of women um, that are on supplementation sometimes don't feel like they're being helped. So the type of iron, like you described, the type of iron supplementation, and also a lot of GPs are recommending or prescribing iron transfusions as well.
1: Iron infusions are a big problem, right? So just to be clear, we're talking about like the issue with high iron. Remember the examples of multifer and Ferrograd, which are 100 milligrams a day. That's an oral route, all right? Mm -hmm. You swallow the tablet. An iron infusion is about 1,000 milligrams. So it's IV, so it's obviously straight into the vein. So I'm not doing an apples-to-apples comparison. But 1,000 milligrams is absolutely going to increase hepcidin which causes the iron trapping the microbial inflammation and at some point in time that really high level that has been created by such a huge amount of iron will fall off the cliff again and I meet women who have been told to have iron infusions every six months every three months sometimes every couple of weeks which is just again insanity to me and they don't come without risk unfortunately the i don't see stress, a lot of yeah. detailed yeah. conversations no. yeah yeah oxidative stress that it causes you know ferritin has an upper limit like i don't want to see anyone lower than 15 grams per liter but equally that doesn't mean that 100 or 200 or 300 grams per liter is better inflammation is a big problem when we see these really high ferritin numbers which you will see for some time after an iron infusion and that's not a good thing not to mention that we are still not treating the root cause. That's a Band-Aid We're gonna get there. that yeah. usually can be avoided if we didn't wait to test until potentially the hemoglobin had bottomed out. But it's almost always these days recommended off ferritin alone, which I, I would, you know, campaign for the RACGP or the royal college of gps to um update their guidelines or take them back to the days where we needed to see low hemoglobin so a true iron deficiency anemia before we were recommending infusions yeah
0: so the pre-anemic state that is very hard to um diagnose isn't it so what type of uh, symptoms would you be seeing though for for most women what should they look out for I think
1: fatigue is a big one, but that's a really challenging symptom because fatigue can be caused by poor (laughs) blood sugar control, by other nutrient deficiencies, by a thyroid issue. Yeah, yeah, many, many things, right? But, of course, we want to look for um, fatigue issues. One of the other ones that I see quite commonly, which I don't think is truly understood, is a bit of anxiety and that can come from lower um, like poor mitochondrial function essentially with those mitochondria being the little energy powerhouses so how we make energy in the body ironically low iron can cause sleep disturbances so you're very fatigued but you're not regulating your circadian rhythm very well and um yeah i think just general like that breath breathlessness or walking up a hill and feeling more fatigued or feeling like you're not training effectively for our athletes, like you're short of breath or your performance drops with no other explanation, like, you know, injury or time off training.
0: Yeah. Um, sorry. So what about. Um, symptoms the, are interesting then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the symptoms are actually quite interesting, aren't they? I get um, people sometimes to look at their tongue or their um, inside their eyelids or their lips Mm. as well, to see the the colour. So if it's getting quite pale, you know that you need to go for a blood test and uh, determine what state you're in. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, There was something that you were saying before about um, iron status, sorry, with um, the GPs. Yeah. Yeah, looking at hemoglobin or just how they focus on ferritin alone
1: these days. I mean, the big problem with the reference range is that that reference range includes men and women, and it is implied applied to pregnant women. So one of the things, like logic would say, so yeah. <laughs> perhaps we need different reference ranges for men and women and certainly different ranges in pregnancy again. So if you're with um, a lab who uses a ferritin reference range between 30 and 300 and yours is 30, it may look bad because you get the red or the bold or the L next to it for low, but if you're looking at everything in context, including that normal transferrin, um, optimal transferrin saturation, you can have what is a low-end ferritin. Remembering that you know I, I never, ever see females with a ferritin even close to 100 mm. unless they don't have their menstrual cycle, yeah. which can be a problem obviously hormonally yeah. if they are of that age.
0: Yeah. Now you talked about precursors before and obviously there's precursors that make things or make the iron more bioavailable. Can you talk to us mm. about that? So, like different nutrients in the diet, yeah, or yeah. from a supplement yeah. perspective. Well, sometimes it's um, like we were saying, um, women do have supplementation sometimes, and don't feel they're being helped by mm-hmm. um, that actual supplement. So, have a look at let's have a look at some of the um, causes why this can um, occur. And one of them, obviously, like you said, is a precursor or having the nutrients to make iron bioavailable um, or uptake easier.
1: Yeah, that's why some of the supplements that we use might contain the B12s or the B9s, right? Because you're obviously looking at what could be the other Um, root causes in terms of nutrient inadequacies driving the iron the other cofactor that's really interesting especially for women is something called lactoferrin so that's an iron containing protein so it already contains iron so it's giving you a little bit more without being excessive levels of course but it allows the iron to be delivered to the small intestine for absorption so that's circling back to what we were saying before about the really common gastrointestinal issues, microbial inflammation that we're clearly yeah. trying to avoid. Yeah. But lactoferrin can really help the absorption. And in my entire career, I've met about one person that couldn't tolerate that supplement for very different reasons. And most people finally find that they actually can take an iron supplement for the short term With why that, while they need it yeah. without all the consequences of those old school products Fantastic. that have been around since you know, we, before we really understood hepcidin, truly. Yeah,
0: fantastic. Um, so let's talk about microbiota and how that actually affects um, absorption as well. So having gastrointestinal distress or inflammation, how does that actually repulse um, the iron from being absorbed? Yeah, there's a few
1: different reasons, but if we come to the consensus on what we're trying to achieve from an optimal microbiome point of view one is the actual ecosystem right so we're looking for a really diverse ecosystem which speaks to lots of different beneficial microbes from a variety perspective and then high numbers of those so the more of those beneficial microbes you have the more you're able to break down assimilate and absorb all the food that you eat right so that classic saying of You are what you eat, but really you are what you digest and absorb. So allowing you to get more out of your food and supplements if that applies. But the other side of the microbiome is the digestive integrity, right? So we know that the gut is lined by this wall and we want it to be intact. If there's inflammation, we can start to have gaps in the tight junctions, which are like the barriers of Mm. that wall. And that can perpetuate inflammation but lead to a state of intestinal permeability where you're not absorbing your nutrients or any nutrients, but equally, you know, a whole host of issues can occur mm. because the inflammation continues and undigested particles can seep out oh, and pathogens well. can yeah. get in. So everyone's heard of that term, leaky gut, and it's why obviously a whole food diet as a as a foundation is so critical because it takes out a lot of our... Western drivers of permeability like excess gluten and cow's dairy and vegetable oils that are in every food-like product that we see on the shelves these days. But, I mean, stress is a big one as well, and we need to go upstream when it comes to iron. You know, we need adequate acid in our stomach to digest iron and people don't have healthy food behaviours. We don't chew our food. We're in fight or flight. So our gastric secretions are shut down. We see proton pump inhibitors being prescribed for reflux, which is another problem altogether. And, you know, there's upstream reasons why we're having low iron issues or iron issues as well, but really it's about optimising the whole gastrointestinal tract so we can get a lot out of our food and our supplements. And I think we can all agree that like optimal microbiome health is strongly associated with optimal health in general and, of course, longevity.
0: Yeah. Now, your masterclass has been, you know, taking off quite considerably helping women (laughs) throughout the world. Um, What's the relevance of the um, thyroid-iron connection uh, within the picture of an individual who does have issues with um, iron status?
1: Yeah. Well, firstly, you acid will start with the acid, right? So you need the right amount of stomach acid to absorb the iron. And then you need the iron to make your thyroid hormones. So as I always say, like, you don't make thyroid hormones out of thin air, except I think that we've been kind of taught <laughs> that. And there's medications that we can take, like thyroxine, when really you don't have a thyroxine deficiency or an oroxin deficiency. You have a nutrient deficiency or many nutrient deficiencies oh, that are causing <laughs> yeah. the low thyroid hormones, yeah. right? Then the low thyroid hormones will affect the stomach acid, So that's that vicious cycle, which then means that you're not absorbing your iron very well. So we don't just look at a test result or an area of health by itself. You know, the body is not made up of separate organ systems. If you have low iron, you'll have most likely nutrient deficiencies. And we would always check the thyroid to see if that is a player. It's not always, but I would always like to investigate a Um, advanced thyroid panel of course to look at something like Hashimoto's or Graves disease where there is autoimmunity of the thyroid and that's really key to make sure that we
0: know all of the root causes because as
1: we've been saying there can be more than one.
0: Okay so someone comes in to see you um, for a consultation what what, um, what's in your toolbox to prepare them with with the initial consultation so just say they have um, a mild a mild pre-anemia going on. What would, mm. would you suggest?
1: Well, I do like to test. Now, not excessively, because you can work mm. out a lot from, like you said, with the yeah. d- diagnostics and and your um, case history with your client. But equally, I don't know what I don't know, right? So the issue, I mean, the good thing about an iron studies and an FBA or a hemoglobin is your doctor sh- will yeah. be able to do those for you. That's like approved yeah. through Medicare. So at least you should have right. that data. But also acknowledging that that uh, inflammation can create a pseudo-ion deficiency. So we really want to make sure that we're also asking for C-reactive protein, that classic inflammatory marker, so we can factor in whether there is inflammation interfering with the results, but really then adding a thyroid panel onto that. And that's why we hit roadblocks, because in Australia, only TSH, or only thyroid-stimulating hormone, is approved. And unless you're outside, they're very wide and in much need of an update reference range, you don't qualify for additional testing. So I spend the time talking to my clients about this and um, often discussing their budget and what their options are for out-of-pocket expensing uh, expense yeah. testing so we can do not only TSH but the
0: thyroid hormones
1: and the antibodies.
0: Yeah. But just um, repeating, if, if an individual does go to a GP, what testing should they ask for? or advocate for? Iron studies. Yeah. yeah, Iron studies, hemoglobin, CRP, TSH, free T3,
1: free T4, TPO and TG antibodies. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Write that one down. You heard it from Steph. You
0: said it straight from her mouth. So um, they're the ones that you should be advocating for to get a good... Real, a really good panel um, and understanding, really, yeah. yeah, of what's going on. I mean, on you with could your... add B12, you can add folate, you can add vitamin D, like <laughs> yes, iodine, selenium. I'm, on we go, right? <laughs> Who asked for these? Who asked for these? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, then I'm going to be happy with that list, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, most definitely. So um, um, we talked about nutrient combinations, didn't we, to um, improve tolerability um, and decrease. No, we didn't, and decrease toxicity, such as supplements. So you talked about lactoferrin. Vitamin A. Mm. Um, Vitamin
1: A, yeah,
0: B12. Yeah. Um, oh, How about prebiotics? Yeah, you yeah give of those? course. Yeah. Our friend
1: Lactobacillus plantarum or yeah. probiotics. Sorry, I was just thinking just then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Goss. So, yeah, two other things we haven't spoken about. So, from a prebiotic... Point of view, lots of people who have um, gastrointestinal issues, yeah. co prescribing yeah. with galacto oligosaccharide, which yeah. is that beautiful fiber, can really yeah. decrease those GI issues. You can find GOSS in your diet in butternut pumpkin and beetroots and lentils and legumes, of yeah. course, yeah. but it's usually dose dependent, of course, when it we're talking is, yeah. about a therapeutic effect. But GOSS is a great prebiotic. And then my favourite probiotic, LP299V or Lactobacillus plantarum 299V, yeah, traditionally used for yeah. IBS, traditionally yeah. used for constipation and methane issues, but has plenty of data around increasing both heme and non-heme iron absorption. So that can be a wonderful way to actually avoid an iron sup altogether, but to do it via pro or and or prebiotics
0: yeah fantastic especially in pregnancy yeah um is there a way to dismiss supplementation do we always have to take iron as a female no not at all not unless you've got high transferrin
1: low saturation and also like low hemoglobin you don't need iron at all you need to eat organ meats or look at vitamin A in some way, shape, or form, but it's retinol. It's not the vitamin A found in no. orange foods, unfortunately, which the vegan community will argue to their death. It's the same, but it's not. It's preformed vitamin A. It's retinol. Of course, you can do it in grass-fed butter and animal fats, but these aren't foods that we eat in high volume. They're no. more like, Is you know, like on the ghee and or... Is that Yeah,
0: ghee,
1: yeah, yeah. ghee and tallow. Yeah. Yeah, small amounts are fine, but we don't want to overdo those foods. And that's why we see such a big movement online for people spiking their spaghetti bowl with liver powder or finally making pate like, you know, our ancestors did. These foods aren't new. They're just coming back in vogue, right? If you speak to your grandma, you'll know that they ate the lamb's fry and they didn't eat just muscle meats like we've done for the low-fat era in Australia, so most people need to come to terms with looking at that, looking at vitamin A, looking at liver or a supplement form if they don't want to
0: tolerate it direct. What and, about other foods that might oh, have, yeah, that might be bioavailable it, in preparation, you know, like um, the whole grains, if they're prepared right and, got, mm. and you get rid of the phytates by watering them overnight, sprouting them overnight. Um, mm. What about foods like that?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the individual tolerance. Like, I don't see it being as effective for someone who's willing to, like, jump into the deep end with the organ meats. And I I meet, like, ethical vegans who finally add in some beef liver powder because nothing else works. Like, they literally cannot get enough vitamin A from their diet otherwise. Now, that's not going to apply to everyone because it's obviously really individual and multifactorial, but it is something definitely to consider and then, of course, copper is available in foods like, you know, bee pollen as well as our organ meats and magnesiums everywhere. Okay, magnesium, yeah. leafy greens, cacao, nuts and seeds. But we are kelp, tending yeah. to need... Yeah, yeah kelp, kelp is another great one. Um, we, I tend to look to magnesium supplements um, because most of us have that really high magnesium burn rate where it's not that easy to get enough from our beautiful whole foods. And you can assess symptoms of magnesium deficiency, you know, restless legs, the eye twitch, constipation, sleep issues, anxiety. And, you know, you don't have to take it orally. It can be Epsom salt bath, magnesium sprays and oils. But most people find they get a lot of results across the board, not just for iron restoration, from adding in something as simple as a therapeutic dose. So 350 milligrams of magnesium a day.
0: Is there any issue with um, uh, soil contention? Like, do we have issues with our soil that we have with magnesium in regards to iron? We do have issues with iron in our soil? Yes.
1: Yeah, we obviously have epic issues globally with our soil. I think magnesium and iodine, the big ones that I see in clinic as being driven by, you know, because you meet people who have superb Diets like they are already following a whole food diet, you wouldn't expect them to be a candidate for a deficiency. But most people don't also know that, you know, in the iodine example, the government has mandated the fortification of breads and cereals with iodized salt. Now, I don't think that iodized salt is the best form of iodine in any stretch, but if you aren't eating breads and cereals because you've moved to a whole food diet, you are actually a candidate for the deficiency unless you eat Japanese cuisine or start to add kelp or seaweed salt or or nori or wakame. And so that's where these superfoods can actually be really, really helpful because they're offsetting what we no longer get from our vegetables and our nuts and our seeds because of the soil depletion, depletion globally.
0: Yeah. Um, and talking about supplementation, there's obviously... The strategies that uh you don't take iron with other elements such as mm. yeah so to...
1: caffeine calcium zinc and nobody gets told this like it's like nobody gets told about you know what to do before a blood test and how the conditions are so important i see people who are just drinking their coffee with their iron sup with something else that contains zinc in it and you, yeah, it's going to decrease absorption. So it's not rocket science, but there are like little conditions that we need to factor in, which is why it's so great when you work with a practitioner because they've got the time to set up the plan for you and teach you about all the nuances so that you can get the most out of what you're doing and what you're taking rather than it just being a blanket Multifer one a day, and when you go back, Ferogred, it's not working, sorry. you just get
0: told to yeah. take more. Yeah, yeah, yeah Ferogred, exactly. still out Ferogred. there. <laughs> See, it is, it is. Yeah, all the iron infusions are becoming quite popular now, so you have to really educate the women of, of what's really going on with their systems, don't you? Brute cause, yeah. of course, absolutely. Recalls, yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to disappear, it's going to keep returning. And, like you said, like you know, it lasts only about six months, and they'll have to continuously mm. get. Um, iron infusions and then there's downsides of that uh anaphylaxis right? is a
1: big one or quite an allergic reaction i meet women all the time who even if they sort of didn't know any better could no longer have an iron infusion because they've had a severe reaction to it right mm. and so that's a problem because they end up hitting a brick wall wondering what they can do next until they learn you know obviously that they actually haven't been addressing the root cause and it can be so empowering to realize that there is another way that you don't actually have to take supplements or ever have another iron infusion if you understand why you have the problem in the first place and have both a short and long-term plan which resolves the issue ultimately that's what we want we want to resolve the root cause so it's no longer a long-standing issue
0: yeah now um you can add to your resume you know you've just recently become another mum and so your focus <laughs> has recently included preconception pregnancy and postpartum health. fantastic real jewel um and great value to to the community what what's your message out there for women
1: i i think it really is about understand that there is another way
0: that there sure Okay. So, sorry, the uh, the message that you were describing to women? Okay.
1: Yes, I think the main message is to realise that there is another way, that you can get to the root cause of your health issues. Unfortunately, I don't think it's via the Western system, which really is set up to help us when things have gone quite wrong. It doesn't really facilitate taking a proactive approach to health, which, of course, we all should be. So... If you are needing support, find a practitioner who aligns with your values who does take a root cause approach and you just will probably find that you need short-term support to work out the root cause and to have a short and long-term plan to
0: address that. You can feel well and you can get rid of any of those symptoms. Fantastic. Now, if people want a consultation with you, where can they contact you? What's some of the media um, devices? Yeah, my,
1: my website, my online home is the natural nutritionist.com.au. So definitely check out my website for more. Um, and of course, Instagram is where I spend a bit of time. Um, that's the natural nutritionist on
0: Instagram. So reach out and I'd love to connect with you there. Yeah. You're a wealth of information. Thank you so much for coming on to the show tonight. Thank you so much. You're for really adding me. so much value um, to our community. And, um, so natural nutritionist, um, what other media have you got? Instagram? Steph Lowe? Yes, and my, yeah, yeah, my podcast is Health, Happiness
1: and Humankind. So we have uh, episodes released every Thursday um, available wherever you get your podcasts from. So come and tune in and um, leave me a review and, yeah, connect with me online. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic.
0: That was Steph Lowe from The Natural Nutritionist and uh, we're the Wellness Coach, Katerina and Brett Morrison. We'll see you after the holidays. Bye-bye.